I don't know. Uh, I wish, you know, these things sometimes we just need to maybe plan better. We need to have a code, John, that, uh, or, or something, some hands. Well, I wouldn't, we wouldn't use that one. But uh, just to keep going, just, we just fill this up for an hour. I mean, there's times where I just, uh, oh, get out of here. <laughs> uh, but just so refreshing. Thank you, John, for leading us. It's just refreshing to come and, and worship. I don't know, if you've been around here long, you know that we do that a lot. Uh, that we sing a lot, and I think it's one of the uh, primary ways that God has given us uh, that we together can participate in the working of the Holy Spirit. Because think about the unity that's involved there as we, uh, and it's why these guys prepare and prepare and prepare so much for the songs that we're going to sing, because it matters what we're, what we're saying, but we're all speaking, singing, worshiping with the same uh, words together. Uh, and lifting them up to the Lord. And the scripture tells us that as we sing together, it, it fills us with the Holy Spirit. So I don't know if you've ever, we've, we've taught this before, and, uh, and I, this is just kind of one of those mornings for me, uh, but I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but you're in church or, or in here, and there's a group of believers singing, and you maybe came in and you were just off. Whatever it is, you're just off. And you didn't quote unquote feel like worship, and something about the, the body, the bride that we just sang about, lifting their voices in unison, stirs the Holy Spirit in you, and you begin to sing. And then all of a sudden, that, that what you came in here with, or whatever it was, that weightiness, that uh, whatever was on your mind, begins to lift, and you experience the filling of the Holy Spirit, and singing, and in unison. And uh, it's one of the beautiful things about uh, the body of Christ uh, singing together. That's why we do it so often. Uh, we, we'll do it when we come together in life groups. We do it when we come together in here. We'll do it here in, uh, here in a little while. Um, we kind of used to uh, joke with, with Blake, our worship pastor. We would say where two or more are gathered, Blake's guitar is in their midst. And, uh, and it was true. Anywhere we go, we're going we're gonna to sing and worship. And, um, and that's, that's uh, so true. So thank you guys for singing. You have filled, helped fill me with the Holy Spirit this morning with, with your worship. Um, this needs to not go unsaid, but do you realize, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm saying this right. Uh, I was just informed that the first ever national championship was brought to SFA yesterday evening. Uh, your ladies bowling team are national champions. That's pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. Yeah. So SFA on the map in more than one sport. Uh, so the bowlers, if you see a bowler, say, great job. I don't know what, what <laughs> I don't know what they do, but uh, maybe high five or low five. That would work better. Yeah. So anyway, uh, way cool. It was on ESPN. I mean, that's, that's just way cool. Okay. Um, and also equally as huge in the sporting world, I don't know if you were paying attention or not. Uh, but I coached my first soccer game yesterday. It was not on ESPN. Uh, I just didn't want the attention. You know, they asked, and I just said, guys, come on. Let's just leave it alone. They're five, okay? Uh, so anyway, ESPN stood back, and uh, we, I, I coached my first soccer game. And let me tell you, I think it went really, really, really well. I felt really good about it. Uh, I was on the field a lot, uh, so maybe that wasn't uh, as necessary. But uh, it, they're five, so you can be on the field, okay? Uh, anyway... I thought it went really, really great until halftime. And uh, I'm, so I'm, they're five years old. I'm going to cheer for everybody, right? Even the other team. Like the other team scores a goal. I'm going, great job, whatever. I'm trying to encourage. I don't know those kids' names. I know our kids' names. Anyway, there was a, there was a young man on the other team 
uh, who had uh, two ponytails and long ponytails. And I didn't think about the fact that it was just a guy's, the, the, the boys' league. I thought, you know, when they're young, you know, sometimes the guys and girls play together and whatever. I didn't think about Okay, so. But this dude was dominating. I mean, was scoring a bunch. And the, so the first few times that, that he scored, here I pipe up, and I'm loud, man. I'm loud. Way to go, young lady. Way to go. Right? That's, that mom is mean mugging me the whole time. And it wasn't until halftime. I'd done it probably four or five times. It wasn't until halftime where my, the guy that was helping me kind of ribbed me and goes, hey, bro, I think that's a dude. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. So then all of my excitement with my first coaching experience, because I was pumped. It was so fun. And then it was like, and I'm an idiot. You know, I just felt so silly. So anyway, thank goodness it was not on ESPN. Uh, because that would have been embarrassing. And I don't know, Lindsay, where are you? She's not in here. I, I haven't asked her yet. Did you know that I was doing it? Okay, good. I was going to say, if you didn't save me, then we're in real trouble. Okay. Oh, man. I mean, I'm shouting, friends. I was shouting. Loud. It was loud. Ugh. So anyway, I still feel bad. I didn't know. It was one of those weird deals. Do I go apologize or not? I, I just didn't. I thought, well, I'll get myself. I'm awkward anyway. So if I go and try and say, sorry for calling your son a girl, oh, it would have gotten real messy and real awkward. So I just decided, let's just hope I never see them again. That would be the, so anyway. All right, so let's jump into the content. Uh, last week, we finished our foundation series, right? From Hebrews 6, we finished. Yeah. All right, Whitney, thank you. Somebody in the house. We finished. I was so excited to finish, and we finished on a high note. Everybody left smiling. Eternal judgment, right? It's, so uh, that's where we're done. I thought about bringing that back up again this week, but we're not going to. Uh, so what I, but here's the deal. I, so I wanted to, this week's going to be just, is, I want to be really, really, really practical this week uh, because this is the time of year, and this kind of starts every year about this time, but I feel like I've heard it more uh, now than, than maybe in years past, and, or maybe the Holy Spirit's just allowing me to, to see it and notice it more. But I have heard more of the what do I do with my life type question uh, now than, than I think I ever have before. And it's not always, you know, we, we kind of think, okay, well, this is a college message. I'm not hearing it from, from only uh, college students. I'm not hearing it from only college seniors. We've got, you know, that's a category. We've got college seniors that are wondering, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I'm about to graduate and, you know, am I going to get a job? I'm hearing it from, from everybody. And I think part of, the, uh, part of the issue is that we have a difficult time figuring out what does obedience mixed with the transition of seasons in my life, how does that work with God? How does that play out in my relationship with God? As things in my life may change, and it happens to all of us, adults in the room, well, everybody's an adult, sorry, you're not kids, um, Older adults in this room, uh, we can tell you, man, seasons change all the time. Um, and I don't mean just four times a year. I'm talking about seasons of our life change all the time. W- w- with kids, as kids grow, there's, there's seasons in their life, and that changes seasons in, in parents' lives. Jobs can change. Uh, things happen, uh, and we all go through different seasons in our life. And I think most of us, we get to where we're sensing a, a seasonal transition, and the question becomes, okay, God, what am I supposed to do? 
And this is very often our, the way that we pose the question, God, what am I supposed to do? And we, we most often find ourselves waiting for God to speak a specific thing that we are supposed to, uh, we're supposed to do. And so what I want to do is kind of talk about what does it look like to come into transition in our life and how does that play out uh, in obedience to the Lord? And so I hope that this is helpful. The goal is to be uh, really, really, really practical. So um, we know... Well, let's go there. Let's read this one. So Galatians chapter 5. We got a hustle. We got 25 minutes. John sang a long time this morning, friends. We got to hurry. I'm just kidding. I wanted more, so I'm not complaining. <laughs> Galatians 5. Here we go. Verse 16. We know this, we know this passage well. We're going to move quickly, okay? But I say what? Walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Y'all are awesome. Against such thing there is no law. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. So the, this section opens with what? Live by the Spirit. The section closes with what? Live by the Spirit. As believers, we know that the deposit of the Holy Spirit in us is to be our lead and our guide in everything. We know these words, live by the Spirit. The problem is when we have uh, seasonal transitions, we're trying to have a, uh, an understanding of what does it look like to live by the Spirit in these seasons of transition. We also know, according to John chapter 5, that, uh, that we're, to, we're to abide, right? That, that he tells us to, uh, that we're to abide in Christ and that apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. And we're not going to go there and read that passage again, but we know that we're supposed to live by the Spirit, that we're supposed to abide in Christ, because apart from Him, we're to do nothing. And these principles apply in seasons of transition. So, how does the leading of the Holy Spirit play out in our day-to-day lives as we live and make decisions? Again, we know that, we, that it, the Scripture establishes we can do nothing apart from Him. So what are the, 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 I think that if we simplify it down as much as we can, uh, I think that there's two ways that we can experience the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, in both ways, and I'm not going to have, I'm not going to go through this and reestablish this because I think we've done it before, but in both of these ways, in anything that the Holy Spirit does, it's going to be glorifying to God, okay? If it's the Holy Spirit at work, the Holy Spirit's desire is not to elevate you, Okay? The Holy Spirit's desire is not to glorify you. The Holy Spirit's desire is to glorify God, okay? We know this, and we know that we can trust the work of the Holy Spirit. But how does the Holy Spirit work in order to glorify God in our lives? And I think, like I said, I think it comes down to two different ways. The first way is, and we're not going to spend too much time here, but I want to talk about it. Uh, The first way is in an exterior way, okay? In the Old Testament, this is the only way that the Holy Spirit worked. Uh, because there was no indwelling Holy Spirit. 
Christ had not died. There had been no uh, permanent forgiveness of sin. And so the Holy Spirit did not indwell the believer. The Holy Spirit was simply an exterior force. And we do, to be fair, we do read of momentary fillings of the Holy Spirit, but it's never this permanent uh, abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in the believer. It's only an exterior force. And the, and the Holy Spirit worked largely to, to lead and to guide as a kind of like a, like a coach. Now, we still experience that today. Many of you, if, you, if I asked you to think about times where you've interacted with the Holy Spirit in that way, where you felt like it was an exterior force saying, hey, come and do this. Uh, pray for this person. This is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do. You've had miraculous, uh, some, of, some of these encounters may have been miraculous. Some of them may have been in dreams or visions, whatever. You've had this exterior working of the Holy Spirit as if, again, the, I think the best way to, to think about this as if it, he was a guide and a coach saying, hey, John, I want you to come and do this, or I want you to talk to this person or whatever. You guys have experienced that. And mostly in church, when you hear, and this is a fancy word for the word story that glorifies God, but when we give testimony, when you hear people talk uh, about, about God's working in their life, most of the time, this is the type of story that you hear, isn't it? This is, the, this is the type of story that we like to put on a platform and say, tell this story about how God worked in your life. And a lot of times, and it's not bad, but a lot of times when you hear people giving testimony, you hear about these miraculous encounters. You hear about this exterior working of the Holy Spirit, this leading of the Holy Spirit. And we begin to think, here's the problem with that. We begin to think that that's the only way that the Holy Spirit works and leads. And so when we get into situations where there's change or shift coming in our lives, that's the way that we want the Holy Spirit to work. That's the way that we ask our questions, isn't it? God, what am I supposed to do? God, where am I supposed to go? And our expectation, and we may, we, we may not even know this, but just even subconsciously, our expectation is that I'm going to ask this question I'm going to sit back, and at some point, God is going to interrupt my life in a strange and miraculous way, and he's going to tell me specifically the decision that I'm supposed to make next. Am I supposed to move to Dallas? And I'm going to wait, and then some, some miraculous moment, the word Dallas is going to be written in the clouds, and I'm going to know, go to Dallas, right? And I'm, I'm blowing this up a little bit to make a point. But that becomes our expectation, that I'm going to pray, and then God is going to uh, God is going to come and he's going to interrupt my life in some way and he's going to give me direction. Now, I'm not discounting that because I'm sitting here telling you that that is one of the ways that God works. If you read the book of Acts, I had a, a, a really good friend of mine call and say, hey, uh, I'm kind of looking for the leading of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. Can you give me a reference point as to where uh, that might be? I said, read the book of Acts. And coming back and went, wow, <laughs> there's a lot of it. If you read the book of Acts as the, as the church is forming in its early days, this is a huge, huge way that God worked. The early spread of the gospel was full of encounters with an exterior working of the Holy Spirit. All the time, you would hear uh, apostles saying, and the Spirit led me to this, right? And, and the Spirit uh, directed uh, this conversation, and the Spirit, right? And so we, we get this idea, again, that the only working of the Holy Spirit is in this exterior way. And I want to tell you that it is a huge way in which the Holy Spirit works. But it's not the only way that he works. 
the reason that we need to talk about this is because if we pigeonhole the Holy Spirit and this is the only way that he works, I think we're going to miss at least half of the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, especially when we come into seasons of transition. Now, in that first uh, category, the exterior working of the Holy Spirit, it's vital that you practice obedience when the Holy Spirit does lead in an exterior way as a guide or a coach. If the Holy Spirit says, get up and go and do, you better get up and go do. Because the two ways that the Holy Spirit works, they go together. And it's the same person. It's the same Holy Spirit. And if you quench the Spirit or ignore the Spirit in one of these categories, I can promise you, you're not going to experience the fullness of Him in the other category. You can't make a deal with God and say, God, I'm only going to be obedient to you if you'll work in the exterior ways. Or God, if you'll work in our second category here in just a moment, is in the interior ways. God, I'm going to be obedient to the still small voice. But if you ask me to do anything crazy and interrupt my life, uh -uh uh-uh-uh. I'm not doing it. We can't do that. If we quench this Holy Spirit in either way, then both categories will suffer. So we have to practice in obedience and we have to learn to to discern his voice amongst our own desires and thoughts. This one gets us in trouble when it comes to the exterior leading of the Holy Spirit. We, We say, well, it was the Holy Spirit. I hear this all the time. You want to know the number one place I hear this? Dating relationships. Boy, the Holy Spirit speaks loud in dating relationships. No, it's your flesh. It's like, well, but the Holy Spirit was telling me to go back to her and to ask her again and again and again and again and again. It's like, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's your heart saying again and again and again and again. Stop. We, we twist and distort the work of the Holy Spirit in these ways. And we have, to, we have to learn. And I'm not saying this for you to be fearful, but we have to learn how to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit against the voice of of our flesh. And the way that you do that is in practice and in obedience and in wise counsel around you. That is, the, that is a huge way to discern the, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's the other category. So I didn't want to spend too much time on the exterior because I think it's mostly our expectation. But hopefully in talking about this next category, some of you get set free in here. Because my, my suspicion is, based on what I'm just hearing in conversation, my suspicion is that there's many of you that are extremely anxious in these days on what is going to happen next. And your anxiousness comes with this question, is God going to speak? Is God going to speak? Is he going to come through? And you're beginning to grow anxious on whether or not that voice is going to come, that leading is going to come. And so I hope that in this next section, some of you will be set free from that anxiousness. So let's just pray for that this morning. God, I ask uh, as we... Uh, go through the different ways that you speak. I just pray that any anxiousness that's in this room would flee. We, that we would understand and know, not just in our mind, but that we would know and believe that you would never abandon us. That you would never leave us in a season of change. You would never hold out information on us just to make us panic. You're a good father. And so I pray that anywhere there's anxiousness in this room, particularly, God, as it comes to uh, changing seasons, I pray that that anxiousness would be lifted this morning. And I pray that in its place would come absolute and complete trust in your working. That in the place of anxiousness, we would say, God, I trust you. And that we would lean in all the more to hear you speak in the way that you want to speak. And so we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here's the other way that the Holy Spirit uh, the Holy Spirit works. 
It's this interior working of the Holy Spirit. So the first one is an exterior, like a guide or a coach, like I was doing yesterday. And it's amazing. With five-year-olds, uh, you just have to, you can't just say, go there. You have to pick them up, walk them there, and plant them. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, th- so in, a, in a lead or a coach, in an exterior way, it's pointing, it's, it's asking, it's showing. Now, the other way that the Holy Spirit works is in an interior way. God is also at work on the inner man in you doing something remarkable. And that remarkable thing that he's doing is he's making you into, he's fashioning you into the person of Christ. He's making you like Christ. That's the goal of the interior work of the Holy Spirit. Now, these things work together, and part of the exterior work of the Holy Spirit is to make you like Christ as well. But the primary place where this happens is on the inner man, as he reshapes the way you think, as he reshapes the way you choose, as he reshapes you from the inside out. We've talked about this a ton, that God is not first concerned with the doing of your life. He's first concerned with who are you. Because the the principle of the kingdom is that who you are on the inside is what will be made manifest on the outside. And that's why he says, watch out for false teachers. You'll know them by their what? Fruit. What they produce will come from what they really are. And so God is doing a huge work on the inside of us, making us like Christ in order that the fruit that's produced in our life is the fruit of the who? We just read it, of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that that's all Jesus produced? It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If we're abiding in him, if the Holy Spirit's working on the inside of us, then the overflow of our life, the actions of our life will be the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But God is working in a huge way on the inside of us. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to just show you a few of these places. Lest you believe the only way that the Holy Spirit works is on the exterior. Let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. This is, and he gave the apostles, the prophets the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to what? Mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the what? Fullness of Christ. So he's talking about the work of the church, right? This, this uh, community work of the church. But what is the, what's the goal? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of what? The fullness of Christ. The goal in us is maturity measured in the fullness of Christ on the inner man. Go to Romans chapter 12. Go to your left, just a few pages there. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God to God, which is your spiritual uh, worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He's not talking about an exterior work here. He's talking about a transformation and a renewal. He speaks specifically of the way that we think here and what happens as a result of this renewal and this transformation so that, what? You'll be able to discern what is the, say it, will of God. Those three words have filled many of your prayers. God, what's, the, what's your will? 
God, I want to know your will in this situation. I want to know your will in this situation. And specifically here, Paul is writing of knowing the will of God as the result of what the Holy Spirit has done on the interior and not just as an exterior working of the Holy Spirit. Apparently, knowing the will of God can happen in more ways than just God saying, hey, Bryn, this is my will. Now, does he do that sometimes? Absolutely. Again, we've all experienced it, and we should be obedient in those areas and not doubt that God works in that way, but that is not the only way in which we can know and understand and discern the will of God. According to this passage, that knowing his will has a lot to do with the transformation that has occurred on the inner man, to the, uh, to the transformation by the renewal of our mind, and so that by testing we can discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, just checking on you. Colossians chapter 3. Maybe I'm going too fast. Man, when preachers go too fast and I'm trying to find it in my Bible, sometimes I just quit. I'm like, bro, you're reading it and I'm still like six books behind, so I'm just going to chill. You're going to put it on the screen anyway. So I'm sorry if I'm going too fast. I'm cheating. I've got it marked, right? I just, yeah. All right, Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have what? Put off the old self with its practices. So we understand that, right? That in salvation, we put off the old self and the way we used to live and the way that we used to work. And look at verse 10. And have put on the new self, look at this, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So what's happening on this new self that we receive in salvation, right? The old man's crucified, is dead. This new self emerges. God gives us new life. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that new life, what is he doing? What's this interior work? What's it happening? He's being renewed to the knowledge of its creator, right? It's being renewed and transformed. We're thinking differently. We're choosing differently. Our worldview is changing. And it's not because God has done something on the outside. It's because God is doing something on the inside. There is a massive renewal that's taking place on the inside of us. And if all we think is that God is doing something in an exterior way, there's a couple things that can happen. Number one, you're going to totally miss the will of God. Because you're going to be waiting for this this earth-shattering moment where God opens the clouds and speaks, and all the while God is creating transformation on the inside. Here's the other danger. If you think that the only way that God works is on the exterior, you're going to miss what God's doing on the inside. You won't be renewed. You won't be changed. Your worldview won't reshape. And then you'll be totally handcuffed when it comes to actually being obedient in the exterior working of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? If I don't train my inner man, if I don't reshape my worldview, then I'm not going to be able to be obedient in the moments when God actually does work on the exterior. Now, maybe I'm, just to to give you even a shot into my own life, maybe I'm just not as spiritual as some, and that's certainly a possibility. But if I were to have to break this down in percentages, I would say that I experience this exterior working of God about 15% of my spiritual life. The rest is the interior. And I can go, now listen, let me tell you, I can go to very specific moments where God has done incredible things as a guide, as a coach, as a leader. He's used some of you even to, to do some of those things. 
I, I, can, I can go to specific moments where God has interrupted my life or my drive. It happens often on the lawnmower where it's just a big buzz around and all I can, all I can hear is humming and the Holy Spirit. Right? But there's, that's, a, that's a select few times. Now, those times have been vital and important. And I can tell you times where I've been disobedient and I can tell you times where I've been obedient and seen the fruit of that obedience. But that's not the majority of the way that God works. The majority of the way that God works happens on the inner man. And my concern is that many of you are in this shift of season and you're trying to make decisions and you're supposed to go, okay, am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to do this? God, please tell me. And I think that that's a wrong way of thinking about it. Okay? Now, I don't want to step on any toes because for some of you, God is going to say, Michael, go to Dallas. (laughs) Michael, take this job, do this, do, right? For some of you, it is going to work that way. But my guess would be that for many of you, it won't be that at all. That God is not going to say, do this. That freaks us out a little bit. Doesn't it? Freaks me out a little bit. God may not say, I want you to do this. But if I'm reading the scripture right, then what God is doing is he's changing me on the inner man in such a way that what I do will be a product of that transformation. And my choosing will be in accordance to his will because my thinking is in accordance to his will. My worldview is in accordance to his will. God has transformed me in such a way that he doesn't have to tell me to do something. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. I'm going to do that thing that's in his will because that's naturally becoming who I am is a man that chooses after God's own heart. Is a man that the, the, the product of my life is in accordance with his will because the product of my heart is in accordance with his will. If I refuse that transformation, if I don't let God rework me on the inside, then the only way I'm going to know how to do his will is by what he says on the exterior. But if I let God change the way I think, change the way I choose, change the way I see people, then I'm going to begin to think and feel and choose like the person of God, like the one that's inside of me. And so options lay out and my choosing will be in accordance to the will of God because my person is in alignment with the, with the character of God. Are you with me? Does this make sense? And we get so anxious and we're like, God, pick for me, pick for me, pick for me, pick for me. And God's going, I already did. Pick what's in you. Right? And I think we've got to get a little bit unbound in the panic and anxiousness that comes with decision making. Because I think it handcuffs us. I think we miss the bigger reality, the bigger picture that God wants to do when all we're thinking God wants to do is tell us what to do. He doesn't work that way. He's changing our thoughts, desires, convictions, and attitudes because of the work that's happening on the inside of us. Here's an example. If you have an opportunity to cheat on the test, are you going to do it? This is a quick no, friends. I'm going to back up because I thought thought this would be simple. (laughs) Do you need a move of God in your life to know whether or not to cheat on the test? No. Oh, God. I need you to reveal your will. Should I compromise my integrity and cheat or not? God, please, I don't know what to do. 
Now we say, well, that's easy, Kendall. That's what I'm not supposed to do. And I want to tell you that the transformation that occurs on the inside of us is just as likely to draw us to the thing that we are to do that is in the alignment of God's will as it is to keep us away from the things that aren't. You know well the feeling when you're approaching something that's not in God's heart for you, you know well that that thing, that gut feeling that is happening on the inside of you. And I want to tell you that, that it's the same power that draws us to the things that God has for us. You with me? We don't need a move of God not to know to cheat on the test. I also believe we don't need a move of God to make every decision in our lives. That by the transformation that happens on the inner man, we have the freedom to choose. And our choosing will be in alignment with him because that's the product of our lives. Living your Christian life is going to be a process of obedience in both areas. If you refuse obedience to the transformation that's occurred on the inside of you, like, for example, with the cheating on the test, I know it's a silly example, but what God has done is he's fashioned integrity on the inside of you. And if you're not going to be obedient to the integrity that comes as a byproduct of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, then you're not going to experience God's work in your life. If I'm going to compromise that integrity and I'm going to be disobedient to that transformation, then I'm not going to experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit, just like I won't experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit if God says, get up and go, and I say, no thanks. It's the same thing. It's the same quenching of the Holy Spirit. If you quench him on the work that he's done on the inner man, it will be the same result as if you quench him and say no when he works on the exterior, says go, and you say no. Let me try to explain it through one paradigm that... that I've, uh, I've told you over and over and over, becoming a father uh, has been the most radical transformation of my worldview with God that I could have ever imagined. But I was thinking about this uh, and, and processing just a father and a child. And God calls us his father, so this is a fair way to process it. He's a good and perfect father. He gives good and perfect gifts. But this is a fair way to process it. And I was thinking, okay, um, so my son Shiloh is five. And I was thinking about the way that he makes decisions. He doesn't make decisions, every single one, by standing in front of me and going, Dad, what do you want me to do? Dad, what should I do? Right? Sometimes he just makes a decision. Most of the time, and maybe it's that that number again, maybe it's only about 15% of the time does he do what he's doing because I say specifically, Shiloh, this is what I want you to do. Does that happen? Yes. And because I'm a good father, when he's doing something that is not good, based even on his own choosing, do I correct him? Yes. It's called discipline. And the scripture tells us that God disciplines the one that he loves. He doesn't, he's not handcuffed waiting for me to say what he's supposed to do and what he's not supposed to do. He is living life under the provision of my good fatherhood. Right? I hope. I hope that that's the way that it's working, that under my love for him, he's living fully alive, trusting and knowing my work over him. He trusts me, right? But my hope as a parent is that as I discipline him, as I teach him, as he grows up in a home full of grace, and as we raise him, that the way that he chooses will be in alignment with the way that he's been raised. That what's going to happen is he's going to know things like integrity and honor and discipline. He's going to know those things because he was raised in that environment. And they're not things that he's been told to do, but there's things now that exist in him because of his parenting. You with me? Many of you are the very same way. Most of you are the very same way. That you may be a lot like your parents in some ways. And that's not because your parents told you to do certain things. It's because you grew up in a household where those things were present. And that became natural and part of you. It became natural 
in you. And that's the very thing that God wants to do. God doesn't want to wait around and make you this puppet. That's a mechanical relationship. It's not fatherhood at all. But God wants to be your good and perfect father. He wants to refine us and shape us on the inner man so that he can turn you loose, not to be away from him and absent him, but that in your choosing and in your freedom, you glorify him, the very things that he would have you do if he were to tell you, because it's in you and it's natural. You with me? You guys understanding this? We have to look at God as that, as that father. And this is the statement that I imagine that he would say to us in this situation. I was trying to say, okay, God, how would you say this? And I think he would say something like, I've made you who you are. Now flourish as I continue to make you who you are and lead you in where I would have you to go. Those of you that are anxious, lock in. Listen to the words of God. I have made you who you are. Now flourish. You are going to get hijacked by this panic. Am I going to do what God wants me to do? Am I going to do what God wants me to do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He's made you who you are. Now flourish. And in your flourishing, trust his interruptions. Trust when God says, hey, hey, whoa, 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 bring that back here. Because that is your flesh. And I need to teach you about how your flesh is cropping up here. And I need to teach you how to submit to my Holy Spirit in this area. Trust him when he says, hey. And trust him when he taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I know this wasn't in your plan, and it's not, this is not a rebuke. I'm not telling you that, that you were choosing wrong, but I'm telling you, I need you to go here. I need to use you here. And go, okay. <laughs> the point is, be free to live in sonship. Be free to live as a daughter. God's desire is not for us to be mechanical puppets. The way he is working is working as a father in an exterior way as a good father and in an interior way as he totally reshapes and revamps who we are so that the natural product of our life is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You guys with me? Everybody that's anxious said, amen. All right, there was at least a few of you. So God, we just ask that... uh, Yeah, I don't know. God, for for me, when this thing gets twisted on me, it's when I'm having trust issues with you. For me, it always comes down to whether I trust you or not. And so I just pray that if that exists in this room where we're going, yeah, I'd love to live that way, Kendall, but ultimately I don't trust that God will work that way. I, I don't trust that, uh, that I really am free or, or I don't trust that I really will glorify him as the natural product of living in obedience to the Holy Spirit. I just pray that all the trust issues would be shown to us and you're the whole, you're the holy spirit you're the only one that can do that so god if we're having issues trusting you i just pray that your holy spirit would show us those areas where we're struggling to trust you and i pray that in those areas that a work of the holy spirit would occur where we can be healed and set free from that broken trust and we can say yeah god i trust you in everything i trust you in moments where you're not going to speak in an exterior way where i'm going to make a choice god i trust that what you've done in me will inform that choice But God, I also trust for you to reveal your will as you desire. God, if you do want to interrupt my life and plant me in Timbuktu, you are welcome to do it. God, if you do want to tell me and lead me in a direction that I was not thinking or, or, or planning, God, you have the freedom to do it, and I trust you in it. Now, more than anything, we just want to declare before you in a true and honest way that we trust you to be who you said you're going to be in our life, and that's a good father. God, I pray that we would be Uh, unchained from our anxiousness and that we would be set free to live in relationship with you.
in Jesus' name. Amen.